The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car from True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or at home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's our third show of the week, Sam. We gave the listeners a little bonus podcast in the middle of the week. Yeah, Mike and I. Right. Mike and I recorded a little one. So let's recap free agency. That's what we're going to do. Um, at least the first wave of free agency. I do always love the second wave. There's still a lot of players out there. Should we hit on the top available that are left? Okay. To at least tell the fans uh, who your team should sign. The thing about these players, a lot of the times we're listing them based off of, you know, not really, taking injury history into consideration, but maybe not to the level the teams are. We do take age into consideration, but there's always a few guys that are left who we're left scratching our heads about, and it's either just because the market wasn't as hot as we thought it would be or because there's something off the field or injury-based that's happening. Who are the best available free agents now at PFF? All of whom will doubtless sign in the five minutes after we record this podcast. Quick, get it out there. Just Ronald out Darby. There Ronald Darby, I think, is the clear number one, was really the number one cornerback throughout the entire process, a guy that is young, is talented, can play in any scheme. I mean, we expected him to be among the very first hottest pursued free agents and so far it hasn't really been there and it's the injury factor i think with him that has been the issue so we'll see what happens with darby he did take a visit to the kansas city chiefs not sure what else has been going on with him certainly seems like a a guy the chiefs would be smart to take a shot on because of their uh, dire cornerback situation who else we got let's do let's just go through the top five and damakin sue justin houston eric berry and shaquille barrett are our top five as things stand so you got sue Two former Chiefs, and then Shaquille Barrett. With Sue, we've mentioned over and over again, the guy plays 800 to 1,100 snaps every single year, which is incredible for an interior defensive lineman. 
Is he the guy right now? Maybe he wants to get paid like that guy, but teams are saying, look, just give us five or 600 good snaps, get after it. We won't, we won't pay you as much, but he could be that playoff mercenary for a Saints, a Patriots, maybe the Rams again for a year. Who knows, just for like another one-year deal. Right. I think the danger is when you accept that one-year deal late in your career the way he did with the Rams, you almost lock yourself into the cycle now of one-year, yeah. $10 million deals to just be that mercenary. And that's there's only a limited number of those kicking around because it's a, it's a significant amount of your salary cap, of your cash, and you need to be in the market for a guy to come in one-year and you know, lock a position down. That typically doesn't happen until later on in free agency when you get a better idea of the lie of the land, what you've already fixed. So I think Sue is just sort of sitting there waiting for the right suitor to come along. My favorite old-school one-year deal guy was Ted Washington. Yes. 380-pound nose tackle back when the whole league was trying to convert to a 3-4. So every year, it'd be one year here, one year there. He went to New England, won a Super Bowl, and he would just play zero-tech nose, play the run, Everybody knew you could plug him in and be one of the best run stoppers in the in the league every single year. But today's NFL, maybe it's the one year deals for pass rushers and you know guys that you know that's all they're going to do go rush the passer because that's all that matters right He's now. He's maybe the largest player I've ever seen. Like He's late in his massive. career, he must have been well north of four hundred pounds. When he was in Oakland, he made Warren Sapp look like a child. But he still had pretty. He could st- still move a little right. bit, and a this, little bit. Yeah, yeah. And this was Warren Sapp after he'd put on a bit of bulk as well. Yeah, looked ridiculous next to yeah. Ted Washington. Ted Washington, he had um, pretty much a gap to a gap range essentially, but yeah. he could get the, he could he could maneuver there pretty quickly. And then Justin Houston's the interesting one. He's he's thirty, still getting after the quarterback at a high level. Chiefs fans were so angry that he dropped into coverage like forty times the last couple of years. He's still a pass rusher by trade, and somebody's going to bring him in for again five to seven hundred snaps of getting after the quarterback and probably getting some production out of him. But an injury history, a lot of injury history, yeah. And I think that that obviously scares teams away. The question is, you know, how durable is he going to be if you sign him? Can you get any kind of multi-year production out of him, or are you trying to convince him to take a series of one-year deals somewhere? And then his former teammate, Eric Berry, released by the Chiefs. They replaced him with Tyron Matthew. I know Matthew's younger and healthier, but, man, Berry still might have something to offer. It didn't look great after coming back last year, but another one of those guys that's like one year removed from, from being pretty decent, a guy that can cover tight ends. Does he go to that specialist role and say, just, cover, just play man against tight ends? That's your job. Go do it. Well, he can do everything. That's what's interesting about him is he's shown he can play strong safety, play free safety, be the guy that man covers tight ends. He can do any safety role within a defense um, and potentially have a big impact. The question with him is, again, it's are you, can you rely on him for a full season? And then number five, Shaquille Barrett, the guy that was always kind of the forgotten man in Denver, but got after the quarterback at a pretty high level opposite Von Miller when given the opportunity. So him and Houston, uh, the two top edge rushers still on the board here. Yeah, he's, he's one of those interesting players that showed really well in limited snaps, but didn't kick on when they got a higher role. You know, you get the – it can go one of two ways. If, one of three ways, I guess. You can either – have a guy that shows really well in a, in a specific limited role. When they get the opportunity, they play like a Cameron Wake, right? And the, right. It was like, we just screwed this guy out of the early part of his career when he was clearly better than the people in front of him. Um, or those guys, when they get a, a much expanded role, they actually get worse because they suddenly have to deal with a whole bunch of other stuff that they didn't have to worry about before, such as defending the run. Or it can just be in the middle where nothing changes. You're just that guy you just happen to be playing in a limited role. Um, and I think that's what Barrett has been. He got an opportunity to be a starter, to be an every-down player. 
It just didn't get any better from the position he'd been before. So that's our top five as of 12.39 p.m. Friday nice. afternoon. Yeah. So we're not wrong we're if not they wrong. signed by the time you right. listen to it. But that's, that's our cutoff. Yeah. Breaking news. And Dominic and Sue. No, not yet. All right. Uh, here's a question. Do you want to be positive or negative? This feels like a trick question. Positive or negative on this podcast? This or both? Both. 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 Okay, so we're going to go to ProFootballFocus.com. You guys can follow along, too. You go to ProFootballFocus.com and check out the deal grader. You want to just go through the deal grader. We graded every deal. We went from elite to above average. Oh, sorry, elite, very good, above average, average, below average, and poor. I was going to say, do we want to just go through the elites and the very goods, let everybody feel happy, feel good about themselves, and if, if their favorite team was not listed here, they just assumed that they were above average and missed the cutoff. Or do we do elite and very good and then flip down to poor and say, these are the bad moves. You guys should feel bad about yourselves. Have we covered the big trades first? Yeah. So earlier in the week, we covered the Browns and the Giants. We got all the Odell Beckham stuff. We got all that done. We got the Olivier Vernon stuff done. Uh, What else are we missing? Antonio Brown. We discussed, yeah, we discussed all that all right. Monday. So we've I know, already done that. I know so it's been a crazy week, but that right. was this podcast Monday. Yeah. All of our millions of listeners have already heard that from okay. us. Okay, so we can go straight into the deals. Yeah, so we discussed free agency up until... So if you guys haven't listened to all the podcasts this week, we discussed free agency up until Monday morning. We did that on Monday, which hit on uh, a bunch of those big trades. On Wednesday... Renner and I go over here discussed Odell Beckham trade, what it meant for the Giants and the Browns, and we did essentially a redo on draft strategy based off of free agency for a number of teams. Um, a lot of that stuff's up on YouTube. It's also on the podcast. Right now, I think it's let's focus less on what the overall arching teams did and just the individual deals, what yeah. was good, what was okay. bad. All right, so profootballfocus.com, your deal grader, what was our top elite deal, the one we liked the best? I think the two, the two deals that we currently have in the elite band are both safety signings, um, and there are two different ends of the scale. One, the Packers signed a young, up-and-coming safety, Adrian Amos, to a four-year deal. And Amos is the prototypical example of a guy that PFF rates higher than the general perception, and it's, it's for a good reason. It's easily explained Everybody wants the safeties to be the guy that's picking off seven interceptions a year, making the splash plays. Like his teammate, They want them to be a playmaker at the safety position. But ultimately, you know, the clue is in the name for safety. Safeties are the guys that prevent things going wrong, not necessarily the ones making plays on the back end. It's not necessarily about the plays you make. It's the big plays you prevent from happening by not screwing up. And Amos is really good at not screwing up. He doesn't miss many tackles. He's always in the right place. He's a good tackler. He's a safety valve for the defense. And I think that results in him playing a lot better than his sort of highlight reel would suggest when compared to some of these other guys. I can hear Bears fans right now saying, well, what about this play? And what about that play? And every safety is going to miss plays. And that's the nature of the position. You're going to remember... The bad ones. The number I pulled out the other day that I tweeted, though, the last two years, Adrian Amos has been in the top five in our play-by-play grading at avoiding negatively graded plays. Mm-hmm. He ranked fifth back-to-back years, 2017 and 18. The difference in 2018 is he cut down on his positively graded plays, which was actually high in 2017 as well. Uh, the guy I like to compare him to a little bit is Devin McCourty through the years. McCourty was never mentioned in the Earl Thomas, Ed Reed discussion even early in his career when they were talking about safeties because those guys make the highlight real flash plays 
McCourty has a handful of those plays throughout his career, but he was always just a sure tackler, in the right position, no coverage busts, a safe safety. Deron Harmon, his teammate in New England, the same guy right now. Doesn't right. make a ton of plays, just you know, just doesn't screw up. And I think if you put someone like Amos on the Patriots, the perception that would change dramatically yeah. from, you know, just a guy to oh, I agree. a really key vital part of that, that machine. So we think that's what Green Bay is getting in Adrian Amos. The other guy you mentioned was uh, Eric Weddle. We did discuss him a little bit on Monday, but we said, hey, it's a really good deal because he's a guy who's, even though he's 34, can still play two-year, 12.5 million dollar deal, 6.3 million guaranteed. That's that's somewhat low risk for a guy of Weddle's quality, even this late in his career. Yeah, and he still remains a versatile safety that can line up all over the defense and has been a really good player at. It's it's a cliche, and it's one of those things that PFF can't really measure yet. But this idea of guys. Um, making everyone else around them better because they're good communicators on the field. They're able to get everyone lined up in the right spot. Everyone understands the adjustments they need to make whenever something happens on the field. Weddle is fantastic at that. You know, he will make the rest of the Rams coverage unit better because he's on the field and he's able to get them all on the same page. That's a valuable thing. And in addition to that, he's still grading really well. Um, Last year's grade was 80.7. That's a top 10 position. At safety, if he was 23 years old, we'd be talking about one of the best prospects, you know, one of the best young safeties in the NFL because he's come from a position where he was the number one safety in the NFL. It's seen as a little bit of a decline, but it's still really good. Yeah, that's the thing. You can find value in declining players if they're still above the rest of the league, and that's essentially where Weddle is at this point. All right, those are the two that we gave elite grades over at uh, profootballfocus.com. What about very good top one I'm looking at here is Trey Flowers going to the Lions. He's only 26 years old. He continues. He has continued to improve year over year. Good against the run, but more importantly, he can get after the quarterback, and he's going to do it in a scheme that he's familiar with with Matt Patricia in Detroit. Yeah, the uh, Midwest New England Patriots. Yeah. Uh, well, well, one of the things about free agency that makes it so hit or miss is you generally are taking a player from a different environment, putting him somewhere else, and a lot of times teams put them put players in situations they're either not familiar with or it's just not their strength. And while it's probably overrated to just get guys that you are familiar with, there is something to be said for we assume Trey Flowers is going from New England to Detroit where he's going to play essentially the same role, move around the defensive line like he did in New England, and take advantage of that versatility. Yeah, I mean the flip side of that is we've said this for years that <laughs> there's also a flurry of moves that happen essentially just because a guy coached a guy in the past. And now he's, right. he's, now he's coaching somewhere else, and he brings in all the players that he was familiar with with his previous destination and or players that he played against right. and did really well against them. Therefore, this guy's amazing. Let's bring him in. So, but yeah. in this case, if a guy graded well for us, we like the move because right. we're essentially going to see him in the same Trey role. Flower stays within the same system, um, having Matt Patricia, of course, having been his defensive coordinator uh, a while ago. He now goes into that system becomes really this primary source of pass rush on a defensive line that's really good against the run and won't get any worse against the run with Trey Flowers there, but doesn't have a huge amount of pass rushing skill amongst their top quality linemen. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that Trey Flowers can bring and also how much he moves around because one of his great assets for the Patriots was that he would line up everywhere. He would be out wide, he would be lined up as a nose tackle head up over the center and anywhere in between and he could rush the passer from all of those spots the lions have a bunch of guys inside so are they going to keep him outside 100 percent of the time and if they do 
you know, does that diminish part of his part of what he brings to the table? No, you know what I think this does? Yeah. It's going to hurt Pat Elfline's grade even further. Oh, no. So Elfline, who has struggled in our grading, has had a difficult job, right? He's had to go up. He's got Hakeem Hicks of the Bears, and you've got big snacks in the run game in Detroit. You have all those interior rushes in Green Bay, Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels. Well, now, not only he's going to have big snacks on running downs, and then he's going to have Trey Flowers head up, zero tech dose. Trey Flowers has one of the most versatile pass rush set moves from zero tech in the league he's got a whole variety of moves so that just um it's gonna hurt pat elfline oh poor pat that's my answer i think trey flowers is a good move let's move on you mentioned cameron wake earlier in the show titans are going to sign him to a three-year 23 million dollar deal 10 million guaranteed he's like 80 years old how is this a good move at three years 23 million because he's still really productive I know he is. <laughs> like yeah. he may have again he may be a player who's started to decline slightly but he's still crazy productive and still really athletic, explosive. You know, you're not looking at him and saying, well, there's a guy that's lost a couple of steps right. and is just getting by on veteran savvy. Like he's still beating tackles with speed, athleticism, explosion. He still basically looks like Cameron Wake. And this is a team, the Titans, that have you know, had, some, had some good pass rushers themselves start to age and become less effective. They've got Harold Landry there from last year. They can bring in Cameron Wake. That should give them a duo of pretty impressive edge rushers. Number 11 pass rush grade at the position last year, 81.1. So if if Detroit is Midwest Patriots and Miami is the Southern Patriots, South Patriots. Just the Mid-South. Mid-South? Nashville's the Mid-South. Mid-South. Yep. Mid-South Patriots. It used to be old Mid-South Wrestling. It was in Memphis, right down the street from well, Nashville. So okay. it's the Mid-South. Mid-South Patriots signed Cameron Wake from the Dolphins. Really trying to yeah, really trying to confuse things. Yeah, yeah. This is the AFC East Titans. Uh, the Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals signed Jordan Hicks to a four-year, 30, $36 million deal. That's $12 million guaranteed. Another one of those deals, it looks a bit like a bargain knowing what we know about Hicks on the field. When he's out there, he's been fantastic as far as, uh, especially in coverage, Arizona needs good coverage linebackers. It's just a big injury question mark with Hicks, but it, we like the deal because you know, just weighing that injury risk, you're getting a. It's a pretty good risk to right. take. It's like how much how much money should a significant injury risk take off a contract? That's basically what you're asking with Jordan Hicks. His coverage is excellent, and that's what you need for linebackers, off the ball linebackers in today's NFL. The lowest coverage grade um, for a season he's had was 71.5, which is still above average for yeah. linebackers. He so. works, He works. you know, he, he gets depth in zones and makes plays on the ball, also makes the plays in front of him. That's just a good combination in coverage. Yeah. So we like that move. Jordan Hicks to the Cardinals. The Raiders make our, make our good list. There's a lot on the good list, by the way, Sam, so we've got to continue yeah. to, to fly through this. Uh, rapid fire? Yeah, we're good at that. Yeah. Raiders sign LaMarcus Joyner, four years, $42 million, $16.7 million guaranteed. The big thing here, I think, is the scheme fit. LaMarcus Joyner paired with Carl Joseph to be interchangeable safeties in the the two four six scheme that Paul Gunther likes yeah. to run over there. And they're going to be absolutely fine unless somebody that's five foot eleven or taller comes on the field. So there. there's some short safeties. It's all right. He's a solid player. He is. Yeah. No, it's a good move. I was, you know, it was a joke, Steve. Chill. Well, I just I, I get offended I was when being people funny. make fun of short players. You do. Yeah. yeah. I defend you have a them. particular sensitive spot for those challenged in height. It's ironical, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I think Joyner's a good move. I, I like I like Joseph. I, he hasn't 
quite realized his potential yet, but we've seen Agreed. flashes of the player he can be. Um, I think LaMarcus Joyner, again, he's a player that can bring some versatility that, to that because he's a slot corner in the past um, and therefore you know, has the ability to man up in the slot against tight ends, against wide receivers if needs be. And that kind of versatility is important for defenses today who have to run. You know, you're not talking about a Tampa 2 defense anymore. You're talking about a team that runs two, four, six. You need to be able to run three or four different coverages, um, you know, you coverage to, shells. You're going to be one-on-one with wide receivers at times. Right. You're going to be one-on-one with tight ends, whether you like it or not. I mean, that's just the nature of the position. Yeah. yeah? So having that coverage ability is important. Uh, the other one that we liked, or another one that we liked, the bill signed Ty and Secchi to a two-year $14.5 million deal, $7.7 million guaranteed. And Secchi, it feels like the guy that no, like nobody in the podcast has ever heard of, except maybe Washington Redskins fans, because he's just been a swing tackle for the Redskins over the last few years. Every time he's had an opportunity, for the most part, played pretty well, whether at left tackle or right tackle, and... I keep joking that the best ability is availability. That's truly what the NFL believes when they're re-signing some of these offensive linemen. We'll get to the bad moves in a minute. But just because you've got four years of bad play but you started doesn't mean that you need to have a long-term deal. I would rather spend the money on a guy like Inseki, who's never been a starter. That's a concern. Never done it for a full season. But when he's been out there, he's been pretty good. I'd much rather take that risk than a guy that I've seen play poorly over an extended period of time. So that's why we like this deal. Yeah, I think at the very, very minimum, the worst case scenario is he will be the best swing tackle in the NFL again, which right. is what he's been for the past couple of years. And that's good, right? If you, I mean, it's, it's, uh, we would be on the expensive end of swing tackle money, but it's not exactly a bad move if you secure the best backup swing tackle in the NFL. And a guy who can play guard, etc. in a pinch, you're backing up your, your, almost your entire offensive line and getting way better as a result. Um, better case scenario he's able to come in and start and upgrade one of your tackle spots and the only thing i think that makes it a little bit of a question mark is that when he's been forced to start i think he's looked better at left tackle than right tackle and those aren't interchangeable you know some guys are left-sided players some guys are right-sided players it's not necessarily a given that you can just go one side or the other um but he's looked really good when he started left tackle last season he got a start against atlanta allowed just two hurries over the entire game. Um, but that's the one tackle spot where I think Buffalo would feel reasonably confident with Deion Dawkins there. He's probably got a shot to start right tackle where I don't think he's been as good. Check out this list of teams, though, that he's played for. Starting right? with the Arena League, right? Yes. Uh, this is a guy who was undrafted in 2009. First team, the Corpus Christi Sharks, who were a 2007 expansion member of the AF2. Oh, the AF2. Uh, then started with Arena Two. That's Arena Two. Then we got an yeah. Then we got an upgrade to the Dallas Vigilantes, who were an AFL team. Uh, Philadelphia Soul. Uh, that's uh, Jaws. Yeah, Jaws, Jaws is team. involved. There, and bon Jovi, right? This is all kinds of weird people that own hmm. the Soul. Uh, then on Bon Jovi. No. Okay. Then the San Antonio Talons, who didn't exist the last time I watched any Arena Football League. Okay. Then the Indianapolis Colts, Rams, Saints, Montreal better. Alouettes. That's getting so worse. So we took again. a step back. Yeah. Uh, then the Redskins, then the Los Angeles Kiss, who apparently were an AFL team as well. What, he went from the Redskins to the Kiss? Yes, then Why back am- to the Redskins, uh, and now the Bills. I love it, the stick to That's quite a there. journey. He's 33 years old. He's also 6'8". Yeah. Another I mean, tall guy like you, Steve. I love a, love a good tall guy that, that sticks with it. Right? Yeah. So $14.5 million deal. Good job, Inseki, based off of all that 
that you went through. Happy for the guy. Uh, the next deal to break down, Brown signed Sheldon Richardson three years, $39 million, $21.5 million guaranteed. You can talk about filling needs, interior pass rush in Cleveland, help from Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon. Love this. By the way, Inseki, that's 11 teams before the age of 33, one of them twice. That's quite impressive. That is impressive. Richardson, yeah. And now the Bills. Yeah. I was counting the Bills. Oh, gotcha. Uh, Richardson, I really like as a move. Um, the Browns rebuilt the entire defensive line. I was saying, I've been saying a couple of times, basically to anyone that'll listen, Steve, that's what I do. Get an idea in my head and I'll just parrot it to people. I know. I hear it all day. Right? I hear you say the same stuff. Oh, it's fine. It's usually the different people, though, to my credit. You just happen to be it in is. the I just, every yeah, time. Yeah, I'm just, I'm right. like saying the same thing as you. Right. You and know. that's, you know, that's I unfortunate, it. but I, I don't care. Why do people think we don't like each other? It's hard to tell. I don't know. So, I've been saying that with the exception of firing everybody midway through it, this has basically been a textbook example on how to rebuild a franchise for the Browns, right? You take a team that's in a mess, you gut it, you completely take it down to bare bones, you build up a ton of draft capital in doing so, you build up a ton of salary cap space in doing so, you basically turn the thing into a skeleton of a franchise until you get the quarterback, and when you get the quarterback, you secure Baker Mayfield, you get the franchise guy that immediately changes everything you're capable of. Now you can deploy all of that resource that you built up. Build around him. And immediately build around him. Not just like put this together over a few years so we're still in the window by the time this team is good. No, we blitz and we get the entire team built around him in like 12 months because we have a ton of money. We have a ton of draft capital. We can do this quickly because we now have the quarterback. So now all of a sudden, Baker Mayfield, heading into year two, is on a team that is the Vegas favorite to take the division for the first time ever. Ever. It wasn't the AFC North the last time the Browns were favored to win it. The Houston Oilers were still in the division the last time. It was the AFC Central. Right. The last time the Browns were favored to win it. The yeah. Oilers were in existence. The they Jaguars didn't even exist. Right. This predates the Jaguars as a franchise. And in fact, you know, the Browns, if you want to. Anyway, true. people get mad at that. Don't, 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 don't. Browns no. fans so love us right it, now. It's really this perfect rebuilding project, and part of it is Sheldon Richardson. So they're able to take on those big contracts like Olivier Vernon, who you know, a team like the Giants don't want to pay that. They think he's overpaid. The Browns probably know he's overpaid as well, but they say, well, he's good, and we have the money, so who cares? Yeah, right. So we'll take him on for a couple of years. Sheldon Richardson they're able to bring in. And again, Richardson is one of these guys that is a flawed player. You look at Richardson, and... The story that sums him up is really the start of last year. Best grade of his season came week one um, for the Minnesota Vikings. Mike Zimmer thinks, we got a steal. We robbed the Seahawks of this guy. This guy is going to be one of the best interior players in the entire NFL. Dominant performance, seven total pressures. He's going to be a wrecking machine in our defense alongside Linval, Everson Griffin, Danell Hunter. And then we don't really see that guy again for the rest of the year. Now, he did that the year before. He had six pressures week right. one for Seattle against Green Bay. This is Sheldon Richardson. You're going to get the occasional game where he shows up and really wants to show he's a dominant force, and he is. And the rest of the time, you're going to get 80% of Sheldon Richardson. But 80% of Sheldon Richardson is still a really good player. And he has averaged 47 total pressures every year for his career. That figure would rank second on last year's Cleveland Browns behind only Miles Garrett. So suddenly you've added two different players who would each have ranked second on the Browns last year in terms of total pressures, and you're adding them to Miles Garrett. 
it's a completely different proposition in terms of what offenses are now looking at. Yeah, I mean, when you come into the offseason with a major hole, like we need to get Miles Garrett some help, and you can plug in Sheldon Richardson, Olivier Vernon, it's, it's huge to be able to make that move quickly. We see the 49ers maybe having the ability to revamp their pass rush in one year as well. I love what you're describing about Sheldon Richardson, though, because I feel like we're quantifying takes plays off. We're quantifying uh, inconsistent motor, whatever it is, because our number is going to account for every snap. And as long as the final number is more good than bad, right? then you kind of deal with the plays off or the off weeks or whatever it is. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Because if you just say, well, he takes plays off, I don't want him, maybe you're missing a guy that's more productive than the guy that works really hard. Like David Parry gets after it every single play. But he can't get after the quarterback. Why Why are you going to go first, to David Parry? Just the first guy that came to mind. I know you're a David Parry apologist, but I'm just saying, David Parry at 100% is not going to rush the passer as well as Sheldon Richardson at 50%. So, right. do, run so, those odds. I mean, with Sheldon Richardson last year, you have three games with six or more total pressures. I mean, those are Von Miller kind of numbers. Yeah, He's, those are huge you know, games. Six or more is a huge, amount, a huge amount of production for a pass rusher. You've also got four games with one or fewer total pressures two games with zero so you know it, it, that kind of speaks to this inconsistency you've got that first game which was basically a 90 overall grade and then the next highest games are high 70s so you just have to live with the idea that you know we're going to get a guy who has more talent than he's going to show every single week but we don't need 100 percent of sheldon richardson if Dom- we get 80 percent of sheldon richardson we're way better than we were a year ago dominant games are valuable in the nfl because you still have to win those that games too. and it you know that's always been my theory all right um, the Bills signing Frank Gore to a one-year, $2 million deal. It made our list of very good only because it's probably just $2 million for a running back. So we just said, okay, that's, that's well, it, right? Also, Frank Gore he somehow is still playing really well. Like, We're not going to spend too much more time on Frank Gore, though, right? No, I'm just saying that he's not just being productive. You know, usually when running backs are hitting that age and they have these big seasons, it's like, yeah, but he wasn't actually that good. He just, you know, was the benefit of some good blocking. Volume so, guy. Right. Frank Gore is still grading really well. He was 81 last year. In fact, I think that's the highest grade of his career last year, albeit on way fewer snaps than he's had in the past. He's still playing really well. Yeah. The end. That's it. Yeah. He's old Frank Gore. Uh, Earl Thomas signing to the Ravens four years, $55 million, $32 million guaranteed. Is that correct? Yeah. I like, I like this. It. I like, I like it, it a lot. The, so, you know, we've had this thing before where it's like Earl Thomas changes what you can do from a schematic point of view on defense. He isn't just the best free safety in the NFL, but he plays it differently to everybody else. Are you? Inter- I don't know if you're interpreting that chart the right way. I am. It's just targets. Yeah, and they don't target. They just don't throw a to the bigger deep middle. chunk when he's on the field. They just don't target the deep middle when they play single high. Nobody throws post routes at Earl. They're Thomas. They're still playing single high when Earl Thomas is not on the field. Well, yeah, they're just not afraid of the free safety. Right. But it's not, it's, so it's not that the deep middle is absent. It's that there is a step. And people don't know what you're talking about because you just leapt in there. I did. Good. Explain. Why you convinced? All right. So there was a picture tweeted out by Next Gen Stats, which I think it may be the finest use of Next Gen Stats I've found so far. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on my Twitter if you dig back into the timeline, PFF underscore Sam. Um, basically, it was a picture of the heat map that the Seahawks defense faces in terms of targets when Earl Thomas is on the field and when he's not on the field. And it's a completely different looking heat map. When Earl Thomas is on the field, there's basically a hole in the middle that isn't there on the other heat map, right? And they're playing the same defense in both scenarios. 
In either case, there's a single high free safety almost all the time. It's just in one case, that guy is stopping all of the passes coming into the deep middle, and in the other case, he isn't. But where I think it's really interesting is it quantifies what I've said before, which is it's not just his range sideline to sideline that's important. It's the fact that he can do it closer to the line of scrimmage than any other free safety, which means he impacts plays in front of him in a way other single high free safeties can't do. So when you look at that heat map, the really important thing is not that there's a a hole, a square missing from the deep middle. It's that there's then a step that comes in to the underneath zone that doesn't exist in the other one. So they're not even targeting anywhere, like intermediate and deep middle. Right. So Earl Thomas isn't just taking, taking away the deep middle, but he's actively making an impact on the intermediate middle as well because he can get to those plays in a way other safeties can't. And he has that seam-to-seam range where they do lean him one way Same and he can idea. get to the opposite seam. Right. We've seen him you know, with Cam Newton break up passes, Deshaun Watson pick off, pick off passes and have that range. So, so the reason he was our number one um, rated free agent hitting free agency the entire time is because there's no other safety in the game that can do that. There are safeties of great range out there. There's no safety that plays the game the way he can. So he isn't just the perfect fit for these defenses. He's a guy that literally changes what you can do in coverage and changes the way teams attack you because of what he can do. And I think all of our good, all of our good free agents, a lot of them have some injury risk. He's in there as well. That was a broken leg, though. He's I mean, 30, but he's 30. He's been banged up a lot. But I still like it. I still think he has plenty of good football left. But, yeah. I mean, if you go through Jordan Hicks and him, uh, who else did we mention that had some some injury risk? I mean, it, there's a there's a few guys. Right. Daryl Williams, one that we're going to mention in a minute here. Um, overall, though, let's look at, look at the Ravens secondary. They replaced Eric Weddle with Earl Thomas. You have Jimmy Smith and Marlon Humphrey on the outside. Tavon Young's back. Tony, Tony Jefferson. Jefferson, a true strong safety. The Ravens may have lost a little bit from their front seven. Tony's going to be mad at you saying that. What? Tony doesn't like to be described as a true, free, a true strong safety. He lined up way more deep this year. He told people on Twitter, don't get him mad. Oh, yeah, Tony. Yeah, he was, he was in my mentions this week, too. He's a versatile guy, Steve. He's he can a, play Tony's strong, versatile. He can play free. Very versatile. I love the way he plays when he's close to the line of scrimmage. And if they decide to use him in that role with Earl playing a little bit deeper, he will excel there. Not that he's limited there, but he'll excel. Huh. Love the Ravens' secondary and love you too, Tony Jefferson. Uh, I mentioned Darrell Williams. One year, $6 million. We had him as a top 15 free agent, I believe, coming in. He was two years removed from one of the best right tackle seasons in the NFL. I believe he was our first team All-Pro. The injury risk again for Darrell Williams. But I'm, I'm just going to say it again, Sam. When you're trying to find offensive linemen, and guys like... I have to scroll down to our bad ones real yeah. quick. When guys like Bobby Hart yes. are getting three years... $21 million, even if it's only $5.5 million guaranteed. You're, you're paying Darrell Williams less than Bobby Hart, and you're only doing it for one year as opposed to three. Yeah, I mean, when that stuff's happening, I will take all of your injured offensive linemen who have done it before and, and just hope, hope for the best. That's how, I'm, that's how I'm building my offensive line. So I like this move for the Panthers. One year, $6 million to see what Darrell Williams has. Yeah, same. You skated over maybe my favorite move of free agency. Though. I skated purposely because I, it was called a segue, Sam. What happened was we were talking about injury risk with Earl Thomas. Man. So I skipped to Darrell Williams with the injury risk. Now we're going to flip back to your favorite one. Which one was it? I think that's a segue as much as just, you know, ad-libbing on the fly. It wasn't an oversight, though. I'm I, fully aware of where we are. It's a questionable decision. So Eagles sign Malik Jackson. 
to a three-year, $30 million deal. Malik Jackson is another one of those players that was judged against a monster contract that he signed previously in free agency and thus was always on the chopping block because he never quite lived up to it. But he's still a really productive interior pass rusher and represents, I think, a pretty significant upgrade over Timmy Jernigan, who was you know, their other interior player next to Fletcher Cox, who obviously is a dominant force. But the Eagles continue to... They understand clearly that it's not about your front four. It's about the seven guys that will make up your front four at any given time. Right. So they want to keep reloading and reloading and making sure that they have as many pass rushers as humanly possible, not just four guys to rush the passer. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, now Malik Jackson, Derek Barnett. Who else we have? Josh uh, Sweat. Josh Sweat, maybe. Trying to develop him. I mean, at their best, they've been the best defensive line in three straight years now. Right. Just trying to keep the depth there, rolling seven seven or eight deep. Yeah. Two so more I, to get through. I think Jackson's a really good guy to help them uh, continue that. Maybe part of the reason why people think we don't like each other is because, again, we I've, I've heard your takes. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I can, I can anticipate them. So I'm anticipating your take on the Bears signing here, Cordero yeah. Patterson. I'm anticipating it. Give it to him. Give it to the Bears fans. I they just, love you. It, I, I just think it's funny that the Chicago Bears – have just signed the best kick returner in their franchise history. And this is a franchise that dates back to, what, the 1920s? They, and they just found the best kick returner in the their 1920s, history. The 1920s, and they have two return men who are going to wind up in the Hall of Fame. We've got Gail Sayers. We've got Devin Hester, who is going to be in the Hall of Fame. He's, he's not yet, right? I don't know. He should be. He isn't at the moment, right? I'm not just making I don't that think up. he is. Right. No. So we've got Hester. We've got Gail Sayers. Cordero Patterson is the best kick returner that franchise has ever had. Now, before Bears fans lose their collective minds at the We're idea that so Devin Hester, downs now that Devin Hester is not. Devin Hester was a better punt returner than he was a kick returner. You're so good at Dramatically that. Dramatically better. So His good. kick returning was not that great. Patterson is probably going to break the all-time kick return touchdown record in a time where the league is trying to eliminate kickoffs. I think he's got one more year to do it. Right. Like if the kickoffs are gone soon. If he doesn't break it, it's going to be because they eliminated the kickoff as a play, not because he couldn't get there. More importantly, I like the fact that he's going to the Bears. What the Patriots did last year, it's not like they won the Super Bowl because of Patterson, but the fact that he just stepped in and played running back for a couple games, played receiver for a couple games, was their jet sweep guy down the stretch when they were really trying to mix things up with the running game. They tapped into his versatility in a good way because he wasn't the focal point, but right. he was the extra point and the, the extra guy. And the Bears and Matt Nagy, they do a great job of using Tariq Cohen and all these different versatile weapons. He's a perfect example of how NFL teams sometimes just need to change the dynamic of how they think about a player in order to maximize their value. So you look at Cordero Patterson. If you drafted him, you're thinking, damn it, we thought he could be this number one receiver and it's just not him. Now we're stuck with a disappointment, right? Well, and you well, never think about what you needed to happen because some of the plays he had his last year at Tennessee were just spectacular. Right. Crazy athleticism, speed. He'd make a spectacular catch here and there. But you did draft him saying size, speed, just have to teach him how to run routes and catch the ball consistently. Right. That's it. That's all you had to do. And that's fine. Whatever, like, but whatever. that's like... That's a massive risk. Right. But whatever about the reason it failed, right? From that point on, with that team, you're always going to be looking at this guy as the thing that he isn't. Right. You're going to be looking at what he doesn't do for you and what you thought he could do coming out, and it's always it's never going to work because of that. When he goes somewhere else and a different team is looking at him and saying, 
this is someone that has incredible ball-carrying skills that can be a devastating weapon as soon as we get the ball in his hands, has the size and bulk to be able to put in the backfield, we can turn him into a completely different player, focus on what he does well, not what he can't do well, and now we have like an X factor that we didn't have before. You just don't want to you draft need, that in the first round. Or even that if you be. draft it in the first round, it's just it's very difficult for teams to completely shift the way they're thinking about a player right, I agree. to maximize the use of them. So Cordero Patterson was never going to work out for the Vikings because they were stuck with the image of the player he isn't. Whereas everybody else, the Bears, the Patriots, can focus on the guy he can be and really maximize the impact he can have. Yeah, agreed. The Patriots used him pretty well, and the Bears, uh, we assume, will use him well as, as well. Uh, the last guy that we're, they were giving the, uh, was it, very good grade. Yep. This is your guy. Chargers signed Tyrod Taylor, as we mentioned on the website. The deal is friendly to the Chargers because they get starting caliber quarterback at backup money. I do believe that is the key here for the Tyrod deal to the Chargers. Yeah, and for, you know, Philip Rivers is getting on in years. The Chargers' offensive line, Rarely seems to get any better. Are you, you're not suggesting he's the future. No, but what I'm saying is, okay. like at some point, Philip Rivers is going to hit that old man wall oh, he might get where you start to get break, broken. Gotcha. Okay. And if you have a quarterback that you need to come in for a couple of games, steer the ship, Tyrod's a pretty good option there. How sad is it that you just called Philip Rivers the old... He is, he's my draft year. Well, 2004. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean... He's our be, draft year. I don't want to be the man to break it to you, Steve, but you, you're getting kind of old as well. Listen, I am not hitting the I old know man wall. I'm getting kind of old because there's no hair on the top of my head anymore. Well, I'm aware because I just well, you look at the top of my head all the time, so you'd you'd be so, better positioned. And than I most. know I'm older than you, so it's like my reminder that right. yeah, I must be getting old too. Yeah, there's also I walk up a flight of stairs and I'm winded. There's you, also you that. were able to knock out 20 push-ups though in a row, right? That's right. Which for a man of your dimensions is not insignificant. It's not easy at 280 pounds. Right, with, this uh, is what I'm saying. 80 plus inch wingspan or whatever I've got. Right. I mean, from a leverage perspective, you're working well behind the eight ball for push-ups. A lot of push-ups have been happening around the office right. the last week or so. I'm just, I'm just at a natural disadvantage. I feel good about my 20. You are. I'm, I mean, look, I, so you know, it's not for, a ma- for a man of my height, I have pretty long limbs, right? Yeah. So Plus, I'm not that strong to begin with. So I'm not in a great position for the pull-up, for the push-up thing. You are in a completely different level because you're, you know, your wingspan is like a foot longer than mine. And you weigh 100 pounds more than me. But I'm a former professional athlete. The, the expectation should be higher. Yeah, but you're, you know, your profession was standing on a mound throwing something. It's not like you had to move. It's an athletic move. Yeah, I, had to, I had to get all this stuff going under and create very limited, 90 miles an hour power. Under very limited parameters. 96 one time, too. One time. 96 miles an hour questionable power. radar gun? Yeah, it was a little. It was one of the faster guns. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. It was a legend. I mean, it's what my teammate said. Yeah, so. Legend 96. I'll take his, take his word for okay. it. I had this one teammate, so it, quick baseball story that everybody <laughs> loves. You have the other fellow pitchers do the gun, right? So it's such a competitive environment. So you, you, your only job is to just, you know, radar gun, write down the number, right? right? There were some very questionable teammates through the years who would say, oh, 91, they put down 89 because they think that they're oh, getting themselves ahead. It's pretty harsh. I had another teammate who spent 10 years in the big leagues named Ramon Ortiz. And he would go the other way. Right. And he'd come out. I'd finish a game. He'd be like, oh, Palazzola, you threw 92, 93. You threw, you threw 96. Every pitch, 96, 96, 96. I'm like, I'm looking at the chart. It's like 88 <laughs> to 92. And he would just like 
talk you up and everything. He was very positive. He was great. But it seems like if you're going to do that, you should be writing them down higher as opposed to just telling you a different number than is on the sheet in front of you. Yeah, maybe. I don't Maybe he was writing them. Maybe he's like, oh, you know what? That said 93, but it felt like 95. And he, I mean, it yeah. was just great. I mean, you had 90% of the people, if they were going to cheat, they were going to do it the other way. And then this one guy would kind of talk you up. The reason that, by the way, that there's so many push-ups going on in the office is because we read this story that came out recently that said, you know, if you're going to the doctors and you're basically trying to do those heart condition, how, how close to death by a heart attack are you? They right. wire you up to a machine, stick you on a treadmill, run you through EKGs and all that kind of stuff. There was a report that came out that said, actually, a much stronger indication of whether you're going to die of a heart attack or not is, can you do 40 straight push-ups? And if you can, you have a 96% less chance of dying from heart disease. And if you can't, obviously, you know, much higher. So we are, we're just trying to figure out how close we are to death. Right. So, you, I mean, you hear that and you're like, 40 push-ups is a lot, like straight off. Yeah. So I, I gave it the shot first and I got to 38. And it's like, well, I'm not going to die over two push-ups. So for the next week or so, it became my mission to get another two. So I wasn't going to die of a heart condition. And it is just, I, I'm pretty sure it's just yes or no. Yeah, I don't obviously. think 38's better 38, than 20. you're dead. 40, you're good. Yeah, 20, like I'm just as dead as you at 20 you, versus You heard it, and you were like, well, it doesn't count for people above 6'6". Six six. There's no way. I mean, we're probably closer to death anyway. And I've tried to point out to you that... Size. Well, I tried to point out to you that I think that was because they just couldn't find freaks like that in the study, not oh, because okay. they were immune to the heart problems. Gotcha. So we've all been trying this in the office. Neil Hornsby, obviously, can do his 40 push-ups. It's like 140. Because the man works out like five times a day. Um, Austin Gale managed his 40. I got there eventually. Uh, you did. I'm you're, proud of you. you're halfway there. I'm sure Mike Renner can do 40. Yeah. And the fact that I'm only, that I can do 20, I think bodes well. Look, well, like as I long said, as two with, out of three podcast hosts well, yeah, are around, good. the podcast can survive. With the leverage disadvantage you're working with, I think 20 is admirable. Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Because I did 10 yesterday. Right. You've done, I mean, at that rate, you'll be there by next week. It's true. I did 10, and then I was like, you know, I felt like I, felt like I had 13 in me. And I get, out, I get on the floor today, and I'm like, I'm just going to get 14. And then you guys started, you know, cheering me on yeah. before you know it, I'm, tw- I'm at 20. I think if we played the Rocky Four soundtrack, the workout montage, we could get you to 25. I could definitely get to 25. Then you have Eric Eager at 27, and then he just quit because he thought we were distracting him. Well, he was doing some pretty questionable push-ups. He was. I mean, he certainly was. The, the, you know. But yeah. that's a concern for the for- the forecast might not be able to go on if Eric. Well, we will know we'll always survive. have one of those guys because George is another one of those guys. George will always be able to do. He right. might be able to do one arm forty push-ups, possibly. So, so that one member of the forecast will always be there. We yeah. just have to make sure we have a succession. Plan Imagine in place. George doing a doing a solo pod. Wow, just by himself. I don't know. That'd be rough. All right, let's get to some of the bad stuff. I don't want to hit on every below average deal, so let's <laughs> skim and then we'll talk about the two poor ones. That we gave from a grading standpoint. Anything in the below average that... Let's be nice here. They're below average. What do you mean be nice? They're below below average, average. but let's spin it with some positivity for their new team. Okay. Spin Quan Alexander for me to the 49ers. I was just about to do that. I know. The 49ers... (laughs) 49ers signed Quan Alexander to a $54 million deal over four years... Only 14.25, which is guaranteed. So that right there, there is, is an upside. When you see the guaranteed the money. The good news is hardly any of it is committed to him long term. 
you can get out of this really quickly if he's I, the same player he's been for the past few years. Hold on, real quick. Can I just steal Renner's? That was Renner's tweet the other day when everybody's like, don't worry about this Tyler Croft deal. They can get out of it after a year. And it's like, <laughs> if the best thing you could say about a player you just signed is you can get away from him soon, right. then it might not be a great deal. Yeah. Carry on. So there's part of your optimistic spin. If Quan Alexander remains the same player he's always been, you can get out of it really quickly. Um, there's a chance that being taught to tackle rugby style, which is what the 49ers teach, along with the Seahawks, the hawk tackling, yep. or rugby tackling as the rest of the world knows it, you might be able to teach Quan Alexander that once he arrives at the player he's running really fast to, you can tackle him, you can bring him down, and then job's done. So if they teach him how to tackle, he turns into a way better linebacker. That's it. That's all they have to do. So he's missed 78 tackles since he came into the league, which is not the most in the league. Telvin Smith has that. But it is the second most. Because he's missed some time, Quan. That's yes, part of it. it is the second most, and it's the highest rate right, because right. he's That's missed some time. So, you know, if you teach him how to tackle once he arrives at a player, uh, then, and it, then you're fine. There you go. How's that? Good positive spin. Thanks. A risky move. We mentioned Nick Foles as a potential negative move. We, we discussed him on the podcast the other day about the highs and lows of Nick Foles. Maybe you sneak a really good full season out of him. Or a playoff run. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, if you're being objective, that's your hope with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. Getting consistent 16-game play from Nick Foles is going to be a challenge. It's a big roll of the dice. That's it. That's all it is. That's what we're saying. Uh, James Carpenter going to the Falcons. Yeah. Four years, $21 million. He's had pretty much one good year. That was 2015. Yeah. That's, that's a little That was risky. the year coming out of C- Seattle where he wanted to basically prove that he wasn't the complete disaster that he looked with the Seahawks. And then it's like, right, I've right. done that now. Now I'm, now I'm done. Um, get, why can I Anthony Barr? Yeah. Okay. The Jets were going to make a questionable move and take a guy who's only played off the ball linebacker in the NFL, move him back to his college position of edge rusher, and expect him to be worth fifteen million dollars a year ish. Right. Yep. That questionable, big risk, Nick Foles style. Right. Sure, maybe he can do it. He did it in college, but that's a hell of a gamble. So he then gets cold feet, reneges on the Jets before calling the Vikings again, by the way. That's how much he hated that deal once he thought about it for a while. He was like, I'm out. And then, oh, I should, I, I'm going to need a backup plan. Calls the Vikings, the Vikings back. So he goes back to the Vikings. It's a five-year, $67.5 million deal, 33 of which is guaranteed. My question is, if you're the Vikings, why do you want any part of that whatsoever? I need to – I was just reading this, okay? So I need to dig into it further. Apparently, Mike Zimmer said something to the effect of... Did you see the quote at all? Something to the effect of the only game in which Anthony Barr was not game-planned for was the Miami Dolphins. And I don't know if he meant this year or over the last five years or whatever (laughs) it is. And they had like eight or nine sacks or whatever it was, right? Okay. So he's claiming that to be the case. But here's the problem. In in the games where he was game-planned for, one of which was the Rams game where he was game-planned for to the tune of a couple of touchdowns given up in coverage and was basically the difference between Minnesota beating a Super Bowl team and losing to them. That's fair. But I'm just saying, this is, this is why. You asked why. Yes. The Vikings, now they do, they do use him in the role that's probably best for him at this point in his career. Whether or not you thought he could be an edge defender coming out of college or not, there was a big, some people liked it, some people didn't. I actually I questioned the move moving him to a linebacker because it's right. just at 13 overall. Taking yeah. an edge rusher, moving him to linebacker at 13 overall is risky. But if you're going to do it, they blitz him over 100 times a year. 
every single year. He is a guy that does the, they do the double-A gap blitz stuff, and you have to account for him. There's something to that. He's a very good blitzer, but you, he can be exposed in coverage. He had one good year in coverage, and a lot of that was just playing. It was just making a whole bunch of the expected plays over and over and over again at a high level. He did it well. So that's where the risk is with Anthony Barr for this kind of money. I think when you look at five years on a rookie contract, even as a first-round player, they got some pretty good value out of him. When you try to re-up him again for another five years, that part's very risky. So he can be a good player. Um, the problem is is that in order to get it, – it's getting the best out of Anthony Barr coincides with having to hide him from what he does worse, right? So the two kind of mesh. He's – his weakness is in coverage because he's a former edge rusher. It makes sense, right? His weakness is in coverage. Consequently, you blitz him a ton to turn him into a pass rusher on passing downs and hide him from the coverage system. The problem is if a team is able to game plan that and take that away, you're in trouble. And that's what the Rams did. They were able to work out how to keep the Vikings in a situation where Barr wasn't rushing the passer. Instead, he was covering guys. And whether it was Todd Gurley one-on-one or Cooper Cup one-on-one, it went bad. Now, when you say, okay, teams are game planning for Anthony Barr, this may be true, but that can be either reactive, I, I think, how do we pick him up in the blitz, or proactive. That's what I think, that's what I think Zimmer's but That's what he means, but it can to, be right? the same thing, right? right? It's, okay, we have, to, we have to talk about, we're playing the Vikings this week, we need to talk about how we deal with Anthony Barr, right. right? He's going to be blitzing a lot if we do nothing. So do we play a fullback and have him pick up the blitz more? Do we have a, do we have a better pass-blocking running back on the roster? You know, what do we do to stop him getting to the quarterback? Alternatively, they can say, okay, how do we stop him rushing the passer entirely? Right. How do we keep him in coverage? And therefore, how do we exploit that? Now, the Rams did that, and they showed how to do it. I And for, if a guy can't be a valuable part of a coverage system on the back end, I have a pretty hard time <laughs> committing a ton of money to him. He's in this very interesting group of players like Jamie Collins. Um, a lot of the pass rushers through the years who maybe were a little undersized, who he said, look, even, um, even in Tennessee last year, Rashawn Evans, their first-round pick, who he said, look, these guys... Jamie Collins has athleticism to play in coverage, but these are guys who are like really good blitzers. And it's, and it's trying to find that balance of how do you take advantage of their blitzing ability without completely exposing your defense? Or do you not? Do you want to lim- limit them in coverage? Like, what is the value of these hybrid type of players, former edge rushers who can line up on running backs and beat them as pass rushers, but maybe you don't want to expose them in coverage? And Jamie Collins was a weird coverage player because he certainly had the athleticism to do it. Yeah. But he wasn't very good at straight up playing man to man and always being in the right place. He's he's more, I think, of a Dante Hightower in terms of he's really good at blitzing, at being the guy that takes on running backs and attacking them. But they're specifically doing that a lot of the times to hide him in coverage, right? right. And I think the Patriots are better than anybody at doing that, sure. so it works really well. Bar, I just having seen them be exposed with that strategy in the past, my concern would be. How effective will it be going forward? Can you hide Anthony Barr in coverage that much because you need to? You can't be in a system where he is expected to drop the way normal linebackers are. And the other thing about it is, 
you know, so there are guys like Rashawn Evans or other linebackers like that who are really good at this blitzing thing. They're not there in the coverage stuff yet, but they're the right size and speed. Yeah. You know, but Anthony Barr is 25 pounds heavier than Rashawn Evans. Yeah, he like is kind of edge He's an edge rusher. Size, right. He's a 255-pound, 6'5 linebacker. He looks bigger than a linebacker. He's not supposed to be where he is. It's just that that's where the Vikings put him. So that's why, like, the Jets talking about moving him to edge rusher, it makes sense. It's just we haven't seen him do it in the NFL, and it would be a huge risk. That, that's the whole thing with this, with this, right? Whether Anthony Barr was going to sign with the Jets, it was risky because you're asking him to do something different at the NFL level six years into his career. If you're the Vikings, it's risky because it's a whole lot of money for a guy that's been... Not that good. I mean, that's ultimately, that's what it comes down to, not right? That good. It's, okay, forget about, like, the scheme and the, the dynamics of it all. What you have to ask yourself is, how good has Anthony Barr been over the past few years? And the answer is not that money good. I all mean, right. that's really it. Two more to just hit on real quick. Trent Brown going to the Raiders. Four-year, $66 million deal. $36.8 million guaranteed. It's the second straight year. The New England Patriots left tackle has broken the record for the most offensive line money in history and i think when you look i i don't hate nate solder as a player i don't hate trent brown as a player i don't think they're the highest paid tackle type of players and they're certainly benefiting from the quick passing game having tom brady having a consistent quarterback getting to the right drop back depth all of that fun stuff and trent brown had a good not great season last year yeah he's also coming off the other place where he was protected a little bit was in in san francisco he had good grades at right tackle where the Shanahan system does a nice job with right tackles and kind of protecting them a little bit. So the grading for Trent Brown, he's been in a couple favorable systems, and now he's going to go be the guy in Oakland at left tackle. That's a little risky. Yeah, there's a lot that is painting a picture that is more flattering than I think the reality is for Trent Brown. There is the Kyle Shanahan year, and Kyle Shanahan typically gets career years out of quarterbacks, but he also typically gets career years out of offensive tackles because those guys Tyler are... Tyler Columbus. Right, because those guys are running this, you know, outside zone fake every time. There's a ton of plays where they're not really pass blocking. They're just selling a run fake, and then there's a bootleg off the back end of it, and your guy's doing whatever he wants to do. Yep. So he gets... So you got one year in that system. You've then got one year in New England with A, Dante Scarnecchia, the best offensive line coach in the NFL. Right. B... Tom Brady getting the ball out of his hands quicker and making any offensive line look better. Uh, And then you've got C, the best period of his season in New England was the playoff run, which A, is in front of more eyeballs, and B, Tom Brady stepped up his time to throw to like a ridiculous level. 2.2 or something during the playoffs. which is absurd. And C, they ran the ball a ton, and if you just watch, he did run block well down the stretch. There was a couple key blocks where it's like, oh, look at Trent Brown. Which is great. He did, he did some nice jo- a nice job in the running game. Here's a crazy question. Uh-huh. We've seen Jared Goff go from a Jeff Fisher situation to a Sean McVay situation. Is going from Dante Scarnecchia to Tom Cable oh, God. the inverse of that? Well, what I, so what I meant to ask until I looked at his grades and realized it wasn't really a question worth posing was if, let's say, so Trent Brown is not the greatest example in the world because his grade wasn't actually that great, right? But let's say a Marcus Cannon, right? You take a guy who was not very good, and suddenly he's a Pro Bowl caliber tackle, and you assume that Dante Scarnecchia is the, the catalyst for most of that improvement, mm-hmm. right? Then let's say tomorrow Marcus Cannon gets traded to random team, 49ers. Um, is that improvement permanent, 
or do you need Skarnecchia like weekly coaching you up in order to maintain that level? I was thinking is about that this residual too. or not? Yeah, because I think the the Skarnecchia thing isn't like I taught you a whole bunch of techniques that are now ingrained in you right. and you take them for the rest of your life. A part of it. With the Skarnecki thing, it's everything that you mentioned. It's him. It's the system. It's Brady. It's all these different things kind of rolled together that are going to help. But I do think the week-to-week and the game planning and the idea that, well, if they need to protect him in certain ways and knowing the player's strengths and weaknesses and asking him to do things he's capable of, I think all of that stuff is is part of the day-to-day. It's not just, oh, we got you at a certain point, now you're good. Because there would be two ways of looking at it, right? You either don't ever touch a Patriots offensive lineman because they're leaving the guy that makes them great. Or you say, well, <laughs> we can't develop offensive linemen. We'll let them do it, and then we'll sign them. So like the Vikings, for example, who seem incredibly incapable of finding any offensive lineman worth anything, right? Their strategy could be, we will just sign every free agent Patriots offensive lineman that comes out of the system. Assuming Skarnecki has already done the work for us. Well, it's not a crazy idea, Sam. It's what I'm saying about let's let's trade all your fifth-round picks every year for some right. sort of like a Collegio Semele or guys that have done it before in the NFL – because it is so difficult to, to develop linemen in those first four or five years. But that only works if it's like a permanent development, as opposed to we need him weekly to keep us at this level. It might not just be a Skarnecki thing, though, because even our numbers show of all the positions, offensive linemen do get better over the years. So sure. as much as we get on here, and we're going to trash Bobby Hart in a minute, as much as we get Sweet. on here and say this guy's bad or this guy's performed badly, if there's any position where we can be proved wrong by saying a guy's bad, it's offensive line because they have proven to get better in years four, five, six, right? So even just beyond Skarnakia, what if you just don't draft a whole bunch of offensive linemen and and try to find the bargains, try to steal a Darrell Williams here and there, try to steal guys when you can, but also not breaking the bank for like a Jawan James. And and that's the thing is that the other reason that it changes the dynamic is because, because they can take so long to develop sometimes you don't get the benefit until you have to pay him a ton of money. This so is think the, the Eric, Eric Fisher. Eric Fisher, right? Yeah. Eric Fisher became a reasonable left tackle, but not until a second contract. Right. So he was drafted in the first round. The Chiefs are five years into this thing before they're getting any benefit from it. Well, this is the Seattle Seahawks thing, the idea that they were going to draft athletes, right. former defensive linemen like <laughs> J.R. Sweezy. first contract turned them into yeah. good quality players. But Mark Lewinsky... It was always ambitious. Oh, absolutely. Mark Lewinsky was the super athlete that they drafted in Seattle, played poorly for Seattle, went somewhere else, and like their theory was right. You can grab this athlete and turn him into a good player. You just probably can't do it within the first four years. And now yeah. the Colts are benefiting from having Mark Lewinsky as a solid NFL guard. Now, J.R. Sweezy improved a little bit, but not within the first contract. Yeah. And even now, it's still not great. Like, it's a good story for a defensive tackle convert. You and know, the Colts that's it. get the added benefit of not being ridiculed for taking a player. <laughs> taking a complete project. Honestly, I think it's something we, we need to look into and study a little bit more. Is there benefit to just let someone, let someone else develop them Yeah, and then try to find the bargain basement guys, you know, try not to break the bank for the guys I mean, like a Juwan James. If, seriously, if a team has the self-awareness to admit that they are not good at identifying offensive linemen, they should be figuring out the people that are and stealing from them. Let me just wrap this up real quick because we have a lot of interactions with O-line coaches. Uh-huh. I tweeted out the other day, there's a massive, massive disconnect between identifying traits and valuing them. Yes. I honestly do not believe this could be like this. This is O-line driven. Like my, my quote is, my quote is driven toward people evaluating for the draft, 
and very much so with O-line stuff. Not just that, but also identifying the problem with a guy and being able to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. So offensive line coaches, I think, are really good at saying, oh, yeah, I see why this guy isn't grading well. Like, he's doing X with his set or, you know, his step is here. You know, there's, there's a specific technique problem. There's a specific issue with what he's doing. I see exactly why he's not grading well for you guys. I'll fix it. You're like, no, 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 no. Okay. Seeing it is one thing. Fixing it is completely different. Or the conversation I had last week with an, with an O-line coach watching a player who graded in the 50s, and he said, doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, I, I understand. Like, I, we're going through all of his negatives. He's like, I don't disagree with any of these negatives. I'm, we're on the same page here. These are all bad plays. But have you seen him finish? But, but have you seen him finish? He's the best finisher. Right. And again, finishing for an O-line coach is not just having a good block. It's burying a guy like after yeah. the running backs through the hole. And even if you're great at run blocking, it's like, all right, well, you just gave up 45 pressures. The value's just not there. So it's the value versus the identifying of important traits. I think, like, I think, Steve, that we can only spread ourselves so thin. And I just, we're never going to win the, <laughs> we're never going to convert the guy that says, have you, I, I understand those 500 bad plays, but have you seen him finish? I know. That guy is written off. I don't want to convert everybody. Um, Speaking of bad players, can we now trash Bobby Hart? All right. So now the poor, the poor deals. That was the, a segue. It was well done. Thanks. You should be hosting the show. Yeah. Bengals re-sign offensive tackle Bobby Hart. Three years, $21 million. It's only $5.5 million guaranteed. But again, the guaranteed money can be full. I mean, if, you just, if he plays the first year, it's far more than $5.5 million guaranteed because you paid him for the first year of the deal, which we assume is going to happen. He has not played football well at the NFL level yet. That's, that's, the, um, that's my analysis. Good analysis. I like it. Strong opening. Still young. He is, is the answer. So I have many, many questions about the Bobby Hart thing. The first is that the the quotes coming out of the uh, the coaching staff and the setup there, we're all talking about his passion and his energy and how much he enjoyed it. And honestly, I don't care if he enjoys getting his ass kicked. What concerns me is that he's getting his ass kicked. And that would be, I think, a bigger driving force behind me throwing money at him. Um, The second one was that they looked at his tape and thought he was playing well. I, I mean, I... I don't know what to Again, do I don't know. We, we joke around with the Mike Zimmer stuff all the time. Like Mike Zimmer comes out and defends I guess. his players. But right? I think he defended this Matt happened, Khalil against us a I couple I think years that ago. quote existed before they re-signed him. Like, I think that quote I was you. You know, I just you. a spontaneous deal. Yeah, yeah, he's doing Then this. I don't know. Look, when I'm a GM, and you'll be working for me, so you won't be able to trash yeah, me, right? Twitter guy. Well, you might be moving up. You're, I like some of your takes lately. Oh, yeah. But when I'm a GM and you're working for me, you, might be, you won't be sitting here on the podcast trashing me. But there might be a time I go out there and Leak I talk up media. one of our lesser players to the media. And then behind closed doors, you're like, Steve, are you serious with that? I'm like, look, I just got to protect my players. Here's my biggest So I don't want to get too into the quotes. Here's my biggest question, though, with Bobby Hart. A year ago, you signed him essentially to a veteran minimum deal because nobody wanted him because he was bad at football. All that's happened between now and then is that he played a season, gave up 10 sacks, was the 73rd ranked tackle of PFF, and generally looked like a bad signing. What convinced you that you needed to lock him up to a three-year deal worth $7 million a year, not another veteran minimum deal? I don't know. I mean, look, the Bengals, they've made at least two questionable moves this offseason. They didn't hire me, yeah. and then they signed Bobby Hart. So I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know. I'm just, I, if you want to sign Bobby Hart, okay, you like his energy. You like the fact that he's really enthused about the beatdowns he's taking on tape every week. Sure. I okay, I wouldn't do it, but, but you know, it's more of a backup. You be you, but 
you, you already have him at a veteran minimum deal, and the reason you have him at that is because nobody wanted him. And nothing that's been put on tape in the last 12 months will have changed that fact. So why are you throwing more money at him? This is like the false thing, or it's like we needed to give him more money because otherwise the locker room wouldn't buy into him as a leader. It's like well, if we'd given Bobby Hart another veteran minimum deal. Maybe, if you buy, maybe you're buying confidence. I mean, would you not just buy a better player? Have we quantified confidence yet? No. You should have bought a better player. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just I don't know the answer. I'm saying I have very many questions with this deal, and you're not answering any of them. Oh, I don't have a good answer for it. Okay. The other one that we gave a poor grade is the Lions signing Jesse James, five years, $22.6 million. Especially in this tight end market, there's a whole bunch of good tight ends coming in from the draft. There's a lot of tight end twos around the league. Tyler Croft tight making money. How's that? Yeah. Uh, Dwayne Allen making money. A lot of our poor and below average grades are secondary type of tight ends. Dwayne Allen, Tyler Croft, and Jesse James. This is because 12 personnel is the new, uh, the new go-to personnel grouping, Steve. Yeah, Everyone's well, getting that could, second tight end. Well, I'm going to quote you and say maybe spend it on a good tight end. Sure, I would. Yeah, Jesse James hasn't graded above 71.6 in any of his four seasons. And his second highest grade is 66.4. Uh, I mean, look, Jesse James... The only thing anyone's going to remember about him in 10 years' time is that he was the guy that fixed the pass reception rule. Yeah, he scored the, the touchdown that wasn't. Right. That's the only th- – 10 years' time, the only reason anyone will remember his yeah. name is he was the guy that got the, the catch rule fixed the end. I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay five years and $22.6 million for that, particularly as it's already happened. Like, he's done the good thing that he's going to do he's for his career. Done. He's already done it. Pittsburgh benefited from that. So, anyway – that's it. Those are the poor deals. That'll do it for us this week. By the way, how long is this pro, uh, promo code running, Sam? Uh, long enough that you can say it. NFL 2019 is the promo code. You get 25% off PFF Edge or Elite while this promo code's running. It's NFL 2019-2019. Use it for 25% off Edge. If you get Edge, I mean, Edge or Elite will have the draft guide in it. Elite is the one that has premium, premium stats. stats. So all of the free agents that we just discussed, if you want their full detailed history and all that stuff it's all part of premium yeah. plus we are massively revamping all the fantasy offerings we have this season so i've seen you get some in, of it it looks great yeah, yeah if you get in for the annual stuff the annual subscriptions um you're gonna have 24 you know uh, 24 365 days steve that's how many are in a year 24 days a year 365 days of access so you can get in now you'll get the benefit of these improved fantasy offerings once we approach the season good times for all if you just want to test it out we have the elite monthly option to yep to just test out what we have so again i suggest you guys get to join.profootballfocus.com go check it out and use the promo code nfl2019 for 25 percent off thank you guys for listening three podcasts this week i'm spent but we'll still see you guys on monday with even more nfl and draft discussion and a serious show you're all over the place and a serious yeah we did a lot did a lot of stuff this week Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray 
in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.